Nahum chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress. Watch the road. Brace yourselves. Marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines, the shields of the soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of juniper are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. And uh, even though perhaps this passage is not uh, what we're accustomed to reading, maybe what Uh, Is not even what we would prefer to read. Uh, We'd prefer to read perhaps of your love and mercy, your forgiveness, your compassion. We know all those things are true. But we also know that you are a just God. And that you demonstrate a just love. Help us to learn that uh, today. Help us to learn what it means for us and how we can put into practice your word today. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, we're in a series called Just Love, which is based uh, on the book of Nahum, this Old Testament prophet Nahum. Just love refers to justice and mercy, just love, two equal characteristics of God. Some people only would like to consider the mercy of God, and that's what they want to hear. And some preachers, that's what they want to preach. Only the mercy of God, the love of God, excuse me, the kindness of God. Others only want to consider the justice of God. That's what they want to hear. I heard somebody tell me many years ago, I like the hard preaching, the one that makes me feel bad. And there there are people who just want to hear sermons on the justice of God, the the punishment of God, the anger of God, and... um, and some preachers, that's all they want to preach. That's what they consider true preaching. When you just come down hard on people and, and make them feel bad. Paul tells the Romans, though, to consider both. To see both sides of God's characteristics. He, he wrote to, to the Romans, Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. And so, the, the book of Nahum is, is a book that considers the sternness of God that allows us to consider the judgment of God. But it's a just love. Uh, It's justice and mercy in in equal proportions because God is a a just God. And so Nahum is one of only three Old Testament uh, prophets or books that is addressed addressed almost exclusively to a foreign nation. Uh, The other two are Jonah, and that's no surprise because we've been... Uh, I've been telling you that uh, Nahum is a sequel to Jonah, and then Obadiah. So uh, Jonah, Obadiah, and Nahum are books that are addressed almost exclusively to a foreign nation. And the language, as we found out, 
even in our reading this morning, uh, at the language of Nahum is interesting because in his prophecy, Nahum uses the most vivid imagery, the most graphic metaphors, and even some of the harshest language that we find anywhere in the Bible. And today we're going to learn why. Why, why the, the vivid imagery, why the graphic metaphors, and why the harsh language or the blunt language. I was reading this week uh, something very interesting, uh, and those of you who like history might find this interesting as well, uh, about uh, the Second World War. Uh, it seems that in August of 1938, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union signed a, a covenant or a pact, and this was known by several names, uh, but one of, the, one of the names of this pact was uh, Molotov-Ribbentrop, Molotov-Ribbentrop, and it was named after the, the foreign minister of the of, uh, uh, Soviet Union. His last name was Molotov. And the foreign minister of uh, Germany, his last name was Ribbentrop. So it was a Molotov-Ribbentrop pact. They are the ones who agreed to this, even though Stalin was present at this, at this signing. And what this pact was, it, it essentially uh, guaranteed that Europe would be divided among the two nations, uh, Germany and and the Soviet Union, as long as they left each other alone. So the Soviet Union promised that as Germany began to invade Poland and some of these other countries, they would just stand back. They, they, they wouldn't interfere with them. And so this pact, then it held firm as this began to happen. All these nations uh, began to, to fall, one nation after another, to, the, to, the Nazi, uh, to Nazi Germany. I don't know how many, how many of you remember what the first country was that fell under uh, Germany. What was the first country they, they invaded? Anybody remember? Okay, I'll get, I'll get you off the hook. It was Poland. It was Poland, and, and so it was Poland, then France, and then the Netherlands, uh, Belgium, uh, Czechoslovakia, other countries, one after another. And while Nazi Germany was invading, the Soviet Union is kind of sitting back. Now, they actually did invade Poland as well. Uh, Germany from one side, Poland from the other. They met halfway. They divided the country. This is yours. This is ours. And they were pretty much going to do that with uh, all of Europe. That was a plan. And, uh, but uh, the Soviet Union is kind of just sitting back, watching Germany do this, and they're not interfering, and uh, according to the pact that they agreed to in 1939. But then, less than two years later, in June of 1941, Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union. And the world was shocked. Uh, the Soviet Union was shocked. We, they, we had this pact together. How can you do this? How can you do this? And not only that, but they were left almost completely unprepared for the invasion. Stalin, who was one of the, one of the most paranoid and distrustful dictators ever, trusted the Germans, and, and they stabbed them in the back. Uh, it just didn't make any sense. But what happened was that a few years ago, in 2011, the Russian government declassified some of their intelligence reports. And so then we got a glimpse into what actually happened during this time. And the information that Stalin was receiving during this time was actually information that let him know, if he had just paid attention, what the Germans wanted to do. There, there were tip after tip, information after information, leak after leak in some cases, that if he had read this, and no doubt he did read it, but if he had believed it, he would have known that the Germans were going to attack them, were going to invade their own country. 
Uh, there's a whole list. I won't, I won't uh, go through this, but there's a whole list of things from this report that, that was declassified in 2011 that when you read this, you're like, how did Stalin not know? This is stuff he was, information he was receiving. He should have known full well of the upcoming invasion. He actually had some very specific warnings that he failed to heed. Either he simply chose to ignore those warnings, or maybe he didn't want to believe them. Maybe he was like, hey, I was there. We shook hands. There's, there's a picture that I found on the internet of, of uh, Stalin shaking hands with the foreign minister of, of Germany. They're shaking hands. They agree to this. But for some reason, maybe because of that, he says, oh, they wouldn't do this. He ignored the information, and because of that, more than 20 million Soviet lives were lost. Now, I say this because sometimes we're the same way. Sometimes we get a warning that we don't want to hear. We don't, we don't want to know something that will hurt us. Maybe it's difficult, maybe it's difficult information to process. And we'd rather not hear it. Like, don't even tell me about this. I don't want to know about this. Or maybe we say, well, maybe there's a reason for this information. Maybe it means something else. Uh, and we don't want to hear the warning. And then it hits us and it affects us and it hurts us. And we could have been prepared, but we didn't want to hear the warning. Uh, maybe uh, we're having too much fun not serving God. Maybe we're simply too busy with life to worry about God, to worry about church, to worry about going to church, seeking God, worry about surrendering our lives to God. And so maybe there are warnings in our lives that, that the wheels are about to come off our lives. The wheels are about to come off our families. There are warnings that God is allowing or God is giving us, but uh, we refuse to listen. You know... Warnings come for a reason, and we would do well to listen. And so God often gives us warning through Scripture, certainly. There are many warnings that we find in our lives or ourselves that are applicable to us. And uh, sometimes through uh, things that happen in life, certain incidents that we may be facing, certain problems that come Certain things that we hear that happen to us or that we read are warnings. And we would do well to listen to those things. Now in this book of Nahum, God gave a very specific warning to his prophet Nahum to give to Nineveh. This was a very specific, in chapter 2 we find a very specific warning about what was to happen. If you remember, we've mentioned this already today, that, that Nahum is a sequel to Jonah. The story began, uh, in the, and we read about it in the book of Jonah, where uh, God told the Ninevites through Jonah that he was going to destroy them for their sin. And uh, so they heard the message from Jonah, and they believed the message. They heard the warning, they believed the warning, and so they repented of their sins, and they were spared from the judgment that God had said He was going to send. But then soon after that, they began to fall back into the same type of sin, the, the same type of rebellion against God, the same time, type of evil atrocities they were committing. And so God sends Nahum, now it's about 100 years later, he sends Nahum with another warning. But this warning is just more specific. If you remember the first warning, Jonah said, repent. It was just simply, repent, or you're going to be punished. Repent, or you're going to be judged by God. 
Now this warning is much more specific. You know, now we see that um, maybe uh, the Ninevites were listening to this saying, well, you know what, this happened before. I read about this. You know, we weren't punished by God. No big deal. Maybe they shrugged it off. And so we read in, in uh, chapter 2, though, that God gets very specific with them about how they're going to be destroyed. For example, look at verse 3. Let's look at these, these verses now. Look at verse 3. The shields of the soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of juniper are brandish, brandished. So he's telling them, red uniforms, red shields. He's telling them what? Chariots and spearmen. God just told the Ninevites what type of soldiers the opposing army would have. And what, he even told them what they would look like. Now, if, if, I'd like to think that if I were the Ninevites, if I were the leader of the Ninevites, I would be thinking, okay, what army around us has red uniforms? I mean, it, it seems logical, right? Uh, red uniforms, chariots, spearmen. But the Ninevites simply ignored the warning. Now look at verse 4. The chariots stormed through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. And so what God is telling them here is that the Ninevites are going to be overwhelmed by their enemy. He's telling them, your enemy is going to overwhelm you. You won't know what to do. You're going to be taken by surprise. So that uh, your, those chariots of the enemy will be able to enter the city before you can put up your defenses. They're going to have free reign over the city. They're going to come in. You won't be able to stop them. They're going to do whatever they want in the city. He's warning them. He's telling them how it's going to happen. Look at verse 5. Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. And so Nineveh, uh, God is prophesying, they're going to begin to get their armies ready, but it's going to be too late. It'll be too late. They continue, continuously stumble and trip on their way to try to defend their city, but it'll be too late. They're going to run to the wall, tripping and falling over themselves out of fear. They're going to run to the wall in order to put up. They had a protective shield. The cities back in ancient times had this protective shield that was like a, a canopy of wood and animal skins that they would spread over the top of the city walls to keep the enemy from climbing over the walls. So they're going to try to put up that protective shield, but they're stumbling over themselves. They're ill-prepared. And, and they're, and, and they're uh, going to be, um, it's not going to be a successful attempt, as we find out in verse 6. Because the verse 6 says, the river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. Now the city of, of Nineveh sat on the banks of the Tigris River. And like most cities that, uh, that were located, situated near water, they had a gate in their wall. This gate had the specific purpose of uh, being used to access the water for the city. Their, their drinking water and, and other uh, needs that they had. So 
They would open the gate to the river and, and they would access the water for themselves. Now, in addition to that, you know, there, there were some cities and perhaps in Nineveh was like this. They had a, like a moat all the way around the city as well. Now, what happened is, so Nahum says the city gates are going to be opened. Right? He said that the city gates are, are going to be thrown open. Now, normally this is not a bad thing, but what happened is that God sent rain. And we read about this in, in chapter 1 as well. So God sent rain, and, and it was a lot of rain. The river began to flood. And this river was pro- prone to, to flood in any way. And so because God sent the rain, it was time of judgment. God sent the rain. He's going to tell them now that when you open the gates... All the water is going to come flooding in. And that's exactly what happened. All the water would come flooding in. And so by telling them this name is letting them know that their city is going to flood under this attack. And then the second part of verse 6 says, and the palace collapses. So the kingdom's going to fall. Literally, uh, the palace will collapse. Figuratively, the, the kingdom is going to fall. Nineveh was the capital city of the entire Assyrian Empire, which at that time was the strongest military power of, of the day. And uh, they, the, the palace fell, the kingdom fell, again, because the Ninevites simply ignored the warning. So if anybody's wondering, did this really happen? Was Nahum just using metaphor? This, was this graphic language just metaphor? Well, it actually happened exactly as Nahum had prophesied. Less than 50 years after Nahum uh, wrote these words, Nineveh in the year 612 B.C. was destroyed. It's destroyed. I found a, a picture. This not, it's not the exact um, I- image of a, but this is pretty close uh, image or a picture of a typical Babylonian charioteer and spearman. So I'd like for us to see this, and it, you may not be able to tell but for those of you who can tell, what is a predominant color of his uniform? It's red, just like Nahum prophesied. Now, Nahum said that the shield would also be red. So this may not be an exact representation. You know, they, and, and so historians use the best information to come up with these. But it's certainly the predominant color is red. And that's what Nahum said, red and scarlet. Red and scarlet. Um, so far, you know, it matches what Nahum was prophesying. So what, what the Babylonians did, the Babylonians are the ones who defeated the Assyrians. What the Babylonians did is they, they surrounded the city for three months. They sieged it so nobody could go in and out of the city for three months. And after, after three months, they, they broke through the defenses of the city and they plundered the city, stealing anything of value. Three months and they still uh, were ill-prepared to uh, defend their city. The Tigris River was in flood stage at that point. And so to complete the destruction of the city, the, the Babylonian soldiers just opened the gates to the city and the water flooded in. Uh, they killed the king of Assyria. They burned down his palace. Um, it's exactly like Nahum had prophesied. They plundered. Now, Nahum didn't mention plunder, did he? Actually, he did. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 reads like this. Plunder the silver. Plunder the gold. The supply is endless. The wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt. Knees give way 
Bodies tremble. Every face grows pale. Everything that Nahum said, everything he prophesied, came true. Every warning of God toward Nineveh happened exactly the way that Nahum prophesied. So what does this mean for us? What, what is the lesson that we should take from this today? I think the lesson is this. When God gives a warning, it's best to listen and respond. When God gives a warning, it's best not to ignore it, but to listen to that warning and to respond to it. We cannot ignore God's warnings in our lives and expect that things will continue as usual. You know, we'll continue to do well. Everything will move forward. We're going to just accomplish all the things that we want to accomplish. While at the same time, we're ignoring God's warnings. So we're deaf to them because we've, we've become so uh, calloused to the voice of God. The truth is that God has filled His word with warnings for all of us. There are a lot of warnings in the scriptures about your money, about your life, about your thought life, about your relationships, about your soul. There are many warnings about your family that if we choose to ignore, then we're going to be ill-prepared when Satan comes against us. You know, the Bible tells us, repent or you're going to be judged. The Bible tells us you cannot enter heaven except through Jesus Christ. He's the only way to heaven. There's no other way. The Bible tells us that if we're not for God, we're against God. That's it. There are two groups. We're either for God or we're against God. I mean, it's up to us to decide if we're going to listen to the warnings, if we're going to be saved by God's grace or, and live for Him, uh, or we're going to act like the Ninevites who just ignored the warnings because they didn't want to believe them. Or like Stalin who ignored the warnings because it couldn't possibly be true. Will we ignore the warnings of Scripture because they don't make us feel good. They don't make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's just bad news. It's unpleasant thoughts. Everybody's so beat up in the world already. Let's just come and make each other feel better. Is that the way we're going to approach God's warnings? You know, only terrible things happen. Only terrible things happen if we choose to ignore God's warnings. Nothing good will happen if we choose to ignore God's warnings. It may not seem that way at first. It may seem like things are moving along. I'm not listening to God. I'm doing my own thing. Things are moving along. But eventually the truth comes out. You know, first of all, by ignoring God's warnings. By, you know, warnings which should call us to repentance. Then... The truth comes out that we've actually made ourselves into enemies of God. What was the thing about Nineveh? You know, they were rebellious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they did unspeakable things. But it's because they were rebellious against God. And when, when we ignore, here's, here's the thing I want you to understand. When we ignore God's warnings, what eventually happens is we make ourselves into enemies of God. Of God, We might still be attending church. We might still have a semblance of a person who, who is a Christian. We might still read the scriptures from time to time. But we have, in effect, made ourselves enemies of God because we are not responding to His warnings. This is why, look at verse 13. Verse 13 of Nahum 2. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots and smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on earth. 
How can God be against us? He says, the voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. God, why are you against me? But it's not so much that, you, that God is against you. The reason he says that is that you have put yourself against God because you're not responding to God's word. You're not responding to God's warnings. It's a danger. You know, choosing to ignore the warnings of Scripture will harden our hearts. Jesus talked about this. Paul talked about this. Choosing to ignore the warnings of Scripture. Listening to sermons and not responding. These things can cause us to develop hearts that are hardened toward God. Because they become so familiar. You've heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. I think it's true when there is no commitment to that relationship. Familiarity in a relationship breeds contempt when there's no commitment in that relationship. And so we hear the Word of God. We listen to a teaching. We read certain portions of Scripture. And we know that they're warning us. We know that they're calling us to God. But we don't respond. We, you know, we, Our response is just so subdued, so limited. There is no full-on surrender, all-in surrender to God. And we, the, we're ignoring the warnings. We think things will continue as they are. But eventually the wheels will come off. And we've made ourselves into enemies of God. And God says, I'm against you. Because you put yourself against me. I'm against you. The best thing you can do today is to listen to God's warnings and repent. Listen to God's warnings and repent. Because then and only then can God restore you, which is what He wants to do. He doesn't want to judge you. He wants to restore you. He didn't want to judge Nineveh. He wanted to restore them. He wanted to forgive them and restore them. And that's why the first time with Jonah, he relented of his judgment because they repented. But when they continued on their sinful path, as I've been saying, when they repented of their repentance... Then God sent the judgment. So our options are, we continue in, in our rebellion. We ignore the warnings of God because on the surface, things look to be okay. On the surface, the job is there. The, the house is there. The relationships, everything's okay. Everything's cool. But deep down inside, you know you're ignoring God's word. And things will fall apart. Or the other option is to heed God's warnings. To heed God's warnings and to repent and to let God restore you. See, restoration is what God wants. Look at verse 2. In the middle, I, I like this. This is a whole chapter of warnings against Nineveh, what, what God was going to do and what God did do. But right at the beginning of this, in verse 2, we have this glimpse into what he wants to do. What he did with Judah, with Israel. Or we read here, Jacob, he wants to do with us. Verse 2 says, The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their lives. Who are these destroyers? The Ninevites were the destroyers who had come against uh, Judah. They had already defeated Israel. Now they're coming against Judah. And so God says, Destroyers have laid them waste, have ruined their vines, but I will restore them. See, he's given us the option here. Will you heed the warnings of God and repent? Or will you ignore the warnings of God? Will you ignore? Let me say it right. Will you ignore the warnings of God? Or will you heed them and repent? Will you ignore the warnings of God and be judged? Or will you heed them and be restored? That's 
the decision we have to make. And so here's here's my next point. Seek restoration with God when you're facing judgment because God always wins. God always wins. Seek restoration with God when you're facing judgment because God always wins. Don't wait until you start experiencing the consequences of your sin to repent and to seek restoration. Seek restoration with God today. Listen to His warnings today. I mean, certainly, if you're already experiencing the consequences of your sin, you know, the effects of sin in your life, certainly this, that's a time to repent and to seek restoration. But even if you're not there, repent now. Seek restoration right now. Let God restore you. Let God restore you. Now, how many of you know that restoration can be painful? If you've ever restored something at home, like maybe, maybe you restored some furniture, Maybe you restored some, uh, a floor. Anybody ever restored a wood floor? I mean, it, it takes work, right? I mean, you need some elbow grease. You, you, you know, it, it, it takes work. It takes effort. And you know, you know that's what it takes. It's hard work. Scrubbing, rubbing. And when you're the object of restoration by God, it can be painful. When you're the object of restoration, it can be painful. And you say, God, but why am I going through this? Well, maybe God's trying to restore you. Maybe God heard the cry of your heart. And you thought, when God answers me, everything's going to be smooth. And God says, no, but I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you. So it's going to take some work. It's going to, I got to strip you. You know, if you're going to restore the floor, you got to strip it first. God says, I'm going to strip you of all the things, that, the, the pride that, that you're exhibiting. The lust in your life. The, the, uh, you know, the uh, attitude that allows you to gossip, judgmental attitude. You gossip about people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strip you of all that. I'm going to restore you. And you're saying, God, why am I going through this? Because God is restoring you. Yeah, it's painful. But I want you to consider this. Would you rather suffer the pain of God's restoration or the pain of God's judgment? It's going to be painful. But one pain, the pain of a restoration, leads to joy. Leads to a fullness, an abundance of living, an abundant life. And the other pain is a pain of judgment that leads to separation from God. So what would you rather suffer, the pain of God's restoration or the pain of God's judgment? Let me finish with this question. What warnings... Have you been ignoring lately? What, what warnings of God have you been ignoring lately? Would you reflect on that for a few minutes right now? What warnings of Scripture? What things have you heard? And you might say, oh, I've heard that for years and I've just never put it into practice. It's a warning. I have to tell you that as I considered this message, and even this morning in our, my prayer time and reflecting on the message, I, I asked God, you know, during this week, it, it, I, you know, I spent three weeks, three days this week just looking at Scripture and seeking God's face for the message that God wanted me to share out of this passage. And it was a struggle. This is not as easy to preach as uh, Psalms or, or uh, the Gospels or some of the epistles. But it's God's Word. And as I prayed and throughout the week and this morning, and I was like, God, what, what have I been ignoring? And I have to tell you that God showed me a couple of things. I'm not going to reveal them to you uh, here now, but a couple of things. And one of them just hit me and said, oh, you're right, God. 
you're right, I know better, and I've, I've not been doing this right. It was a very sobering thought, very sobering thought. And, and I'm asking you to take the time, and we're going to do this here before we leave as well. Take the time to ask God, what things in Scripture related to my spiritual life, related maybe to my prayer life, related to my finances, related to the way I treat people, related to my pride, related to my, my legalism or my, my being judgmental, related to whatever, related to my purity. What, what warnings have I been hearing? And I know in Scripture, and, and oh, I almost got caught that time. Well, maybe it's a warning. What warnings have you been ignoring lately? Stop ignoring God's warnings. God doesn't play around. God always wins. Don't make yourself an enemy of God by ignoring His warnings. So what warnings have you, have you been ignoring lately? And secondly, what steps are you willing to take today? Not just to avoid God's judgment, but to be fully restored to a joyful and a right relationship with God. What steps are you, are you willing to take? I pray that it would simply start with you asking God. And taking time to hear from God today. And say, God, what is it? Some of you already know. Some of you already know. Yeah, this is an area of my life that I just pretend the Bible didn't say that. I just ignore God's warnings. And I've gotten away with it. But others, maybe you need to just reflect on that. And let the Spirit of God speak to you and i'd like for us to do that today we're going to finish our service today with a time of seeking god and a time of coming before god and let that be the first step you take to to be brutally honest with your brutally honest with yourself and say god speak to me show me what is it that i need to respond to today let's bow for prayer father we're so grateful that your word is clear Your word is clear to us today. I'm very well aware in my own life of of things that I've not heeded. A couple of areas in my life that you showed me this week and today. That you showed me. I've been ignoring your warnings. Thinking things would work out anyway. I'm so sorry God. I am so sorry. Forgive me. Today we humble ourselves before you. And we say, God, speak to me. Help me to look at my life in a brutally honest way. And say, here, here, here. I've ignored your warnings. But God, today I ask that you forgive us. That you forgive me and just restore me to be that man that you want me to be. Restore us today to be those people that you want us to be as we surrender to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.